Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samoz, and I'm here with Denise Borges. How are you, Denise? I'm great, and yourself? I am doing all right. We have a special guest. Well, all the guests are special, right? But uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce uh, our, our good friend, who's our guest today. Yes, we're very happy to have here State Senator Danielle DePonce from the great state of Rhode Island. Senator DePonce, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing fantastically well. Welcome to our podcast, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us and our listeners and uh, bring us up to par on what is going on in the great state of Rhode Island and also in our Portuguese-American community. And as always, uh, we try to start these uh, podcasts with uh, a brief bio, and who better than yourself to let us know. I, I know Portuguese-American community throughout the United States of America has heard of Daniel de Ponte. You've been a household name in many areas, not just in Rhode Island, uh, for your work with our communities, uh, not just also in the uh, political realm. But if you would uh, kind of give us a little bit of uh, a short bio on how, who you are and how you, you got into this wonderful world of public service. What drove you to become uh, a state senator from Rhode Island? And who knows from here what will be next? Well, thank you very much for inviting me to uh, participate. Uh, I've been a lifelong Rhode Islander. I was born and raised here. Uh, my parents were both immigrants from uh, the Azores. My father from the island of San Miguel. My mother from the island of Santa Maria. Uh, they met here. My mom was seven when she uh, emigrated. My dad was 16. I, I you know, grew up around uh, politics. Uh, my dad had volunteered on campaigns, and you know, we always had a very solid representation of Portuguese Americans uh, representing at different levels <clears throat> the city of East Providence, which is where I live. Uh, both on the school committee, the city council, and state representative and state senator. Uh, the Senate seat that I represent today uh, has been represented continuously uh, by a Luso-American since 1959. Wow. Um, oh. So when I, so you know, uh, growing up around it, I, I had, a, I guess, a, a bird's eye view of what those elected officials um, did on a day-to-day -day basis because of, you know, some of them being close family friends even, Uh, so I certainly had an appreciation for the public service part of it. You know, the politics, uh, even to today, is the part that I think I enjoy the least. Uh, a little too dramatic uh, and cynical at times. But I think it's, at the end of the day, about public service. And so growing up, I always had uh, an interest in eventually someday uh, running for elective office. Uh, not really sure. I hadn't really given much thought about to what level. Uh, but back in 1998, my immediate predecessor, uh, Paul Tavares, who's also a, a Luso-American, Uh, decided to uh, run for general treasurer of the state of Rhode Island, and the seat that he occupied at the time became vacant. And um, there really wasn't anyone that had immediately popped out uh, from the Portuguese community, Portuguese American community, to run. And um, you know, having been involved in my church and having been having grown up here, uh, I, I got the sense that the community still had a, a, a special need uh, to be represented. And so I gave it some thought. I asked some people what they thought about me running for office. Uh, I asked my parents, they said, you know, absolutely not. Um, but you know, I was a so 
I was a sophomore at the University of Rhode Island. I was studying uh, business administration. And I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, the worst that can happen is that I won't get elected, but I'll have had a wonderful experience, met a lot of great people along the way. And if I don't win, I'll just go back to college and do what, you know, every other college kid does study, have a good time and drink a little beer. Uh, but as it turned out, we had a good organization, uh, a great organization, really, of people that uh, had known me, you know, growing up, uh, but also put a tremendous amount of uh, faith and trust in, in my uh, ability to actually, you know, hold elective office. And we had uh, we had a primary election that we won uh, a three-way primary, which uh, we won with 54% of the vote, uh, and then went on to win the general election with uh, against an independent with 70% of the vote. You were 20 at this time, correct? Uh, yes, I was uh, 20 when I was elected. I turned, made my 21st birthday, uh, the first uh, month and a half of uh, holding uh, or serving in my in my seat. And um, I graduated. This was in, you know, was elected in 1998, November of 98 sworn into office in January of 99. Uh, I continued uh, at the University of Rhode Island as a student and uh, graduated in May of 2000. Uh, and then about seven months later, uh, ended up uh, starting my career as a financial advisor, which I still do today. And one thing about your your district, so the, your area that you represent in the uh, uh, Rhode Island State Senate, um, the area of East Providence is an area that has a pretty substantial amount of Portuguese Americans, correct? Yes, it does. It has a substantial amount of uh, Portuguese Americans and um, Portuguese Americans that are just totally integrated in every aspect of of the of the community, uh, whether it be as business people, whether it be uh, as bureaucrats in government, whether it be you know on the police force, on the fire department, teachers. Public uh, public uh, employees, uh, you know, it's a community that's been here since the 1930s, I guess, and and, and ebbs and flows in, in generations. But I would say that uh, you know, East Providence, I believe, is the third or fourth uh, most Portuguese in terms of density, most Portuguese city in America, and it's a very active one. And so they do participate. That's one of the things that you know we always discuss throughout uh, the entire United States of America is the political participation of our community. But it seems like in your area, you have no lack of participation, which is great. They do. I mean, they participate, but, you know, like anything else, primary elections, at least uh, here, um, I would imagine it's very similar elsewhere. Uh, primary elections are where, you know, most of the action, you know, happens in most cases. Uh, and so, you know, I think when I first ran, there was also within the community a certain level of, uh, of excitement, a certain level of even, I guess, apprehension, probably because I was so young. Uh, but folks were energized to, you know, get involved in the campaign to make sure that they get out to vote. We use a system where we identify voters and folks on the volunteers on the campaign are responsible for contacting those voters uh, that they know, their relatives and friends and neighbors on Election Day. But, you know, as time goes on and as you get elected and, you know, for several terms, I didn't have uh, any opposition, which was very nice. But then uh, had another Democratic uh, primary opponent one time and had a Republican you know, there there does get to be a certain level of, um, you know, comfort. I don't want to say apathy, you know, from a negative sense, but, you know, that 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 comfort in saying, well, he's been there for a long time, you know, uh, he's well-liked and well-respected, you know, uh, he'll be fine in, in terms of re-election. And, uh, and I think that, you know, that happens, uh, unfortunately. I mean, the, you know, the, the famous story of uh, the former Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, you know, his longtime neighbor didn't vote for him because he didn't ask. 
And so, you know, that that is something that we continuously need to, to pay very close attention to. You believe that, uh, you know, now in almost 20 years, you know, since this uh, 1998, since your first election, and I'm sure politics have changed tremendously in the last uh, two decades, but some of the issues that uh, face the Portuguese-American community in your area, uh, you just said that the Portuguese-American community in East province, for the most part, are very well integrated into the mainstream society uh, in general. So do you feel that there are some specific issues to the Portuguese-American community in your area? Are they pretty much uh, in line with what's uh, basically the aspirations and the issues for Americans in general? It's pretty, it's pretty general, you know, when compared to the, the community at large or even some of the other ethnic groups. Um, recently or within the last couple of years, we've had one issue in particular that's of specific importance to the Portuguese community. And that is um, back in the 1980s, one of my predecessors actually uh, introduced legislation, which was ultimately passed to specifically designate Portuguese as minorities in the state of Rhode Island. And uh, several years ago, there were several under-the-radar uh, attempts, I guess, to change the law that I thought was, you know, in effect, and, and the community didn't really make a, a big deal about it because we were able to successfully uh, make sure it didn't go anywhere. But uh, it would have basically taken the Lusophone-speaking Portuguese community, whereas they would have redefined the statute to align or define Brazilians uh, with the Latino and Hispanic community, would define the Cape Verdeans, and Angolans and Mozambique with the African-American community and the, you know, Portugal, Portuguese, Azores, Madeiran Portuguese people uh, would have been totally, you know, cut out and discriminated against. And uh, fortunately, we were able to, uh, to prevent that from happening. But it's one of those examples where now, uh, for a long time now, we've had public projects, 10% uh, of the public works projects need to go to minority uh, minority contractors, obviously, that have to be qualified. Um, so it's an opportunity for our community to have uh, a little bit of an edge uh, in certain instances for some of these public works projects. Let me ask you just to clarify that, uh, Senator uh, So uh, in Rhode Island, the Portuguese are officially classified as a minority group. That is correct. Oh, fantastic. That doesn't happen in many states of the Union. And what kind of, I'm curious, what kind of... Um, so you mentioned one of the benefits is that, you know, we when it's to bidding for, for public works jobs and things like that. What what other uh, types of benefits and people can assume what they are, but let's just be like crystal clear on what that means. Um, so what kind of benefits do uh, do the Portuguese get as a as a result of having that status? Well, I, I think it depends on who is recognizing the minority status and to what degree they're recognizing it, whether or not they choose to recognize it at a state level or whether or not they choose to recognize it at a, at a, at a federal level, you know, what, what are considered uh, minorities. Uh, I don't, that's, you know, it hasn't come up as an issue that has been challenged. You know, frankly, when we look at uh, university admissions, you know, for example, I'm not sure anyone has made the case or even raised the issue of whether or not admissions were based on, state-level minority status versus federal uh, minority status. Right. And so I, I can't really speak to, um, you know, to, to where that would, uh, you know, the one, the one that I absolutely am aware of uh, happens to do with public bids and public projects. Uh, that is, uh, that is, is according to state, uh, state law. With regards to other institutions that might be governed more closely by federal law, 
um, it's definitely uh, something that's worth looking further into for sure. One of the reasons I ask is because, uh, you know, a few years ago, there was um, the issue of whether or not uh, Portuguese should be considered Hispanic for the purposes of the U.S. Census. And we, you know, conducted a, a survey and, and overwhelmed, and, and there's people on both sides of the fence in the Portuguese community on that issue. And I, uh, in reading the results and a lot of the comments, uh, most of the people who were against that weren't against it because they didn't want minority status or anything like that. It was purely a cultural thing. They you know, historically, we are not his, Hispanic, according to, to a lot of people. And so it really wasn't a, a, a balk against, you know, we don't want to be considered minorities. It was a, we want to be cons- classified properly, right? Culturally and ethnically, it's uh, we want to be classified. So it's an interesting, I, you know, I had no idea that Rhode Island had this policy. And so it's something that, uh, you know, personally, I think should be considered for other states where there are large uh, Portuguese populations. So Certainly, certainly kudos to, uh, to, to Ryan. And, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned also that basically when this movement to take out these other Lusophonic groups away from it, uh, the community was able to come together and unify. Yeah, like I said, it, it, it got, you know, it got my attention, uh, certainly, mm-hmm. and it died, a, it, you know, it, it died a quiet death. You know, mm-hmm. I also, in, fa- in fairness to my colleague, uh, that proposed the legislation. He's a very decent man and someone who I respect. I don't think his, you know, intent. I don't think he was intending to, uh, to discriminate. And so I, I also didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to put him in a, in a, in a predicament that really, frankly, he was not intending to have to deal with. And so we had a, you know, a very, a very candid and respectful conversation. And he understood where I was coming from for sure. Uh, he happens to be a, an African American. Uh, and I told him, I said, "Hey, if this well, uh, this was uh, the shoe was on the other foot, you, I'm sure, would feel exactly as I do." Right. One of the other issues that uh, to talk about briefly in our limited amount of time, but that is the I know that you've been heavily involved, as you said, with the Portuguese American community in Rhode Island and throughout uh, New England. Um, I know you visit also the Azores periodically, whether it be for pleasure or on business uh, or you know representing uh, your great state of Rhode Island. Um, one of the issues that like to mention is how do you feel uh, as someone who really knows the community and knows also uh, Portugal quite well, you have uh, constant contacts with Portugal. How do you feel the Portuguese Americans are beginning to, or are we beginning to kind of have a, uh, a bigger face so let's say in, in the relationship between the United States and Portugal and how you feel that our community can be a voice for Portugal in the United States. You feel that's a possibility, even though we're spread out. I, I do. And I, I think uh, one of the things, and I'll speak to it, you know, starting at a very mi- micro level here locally, uh, I think we need to be, and I would imagine, you know, I'll preface it by saying I would imagine this is applicable in other, you know, Portuguese communities, whether it's in California or New Jersey or, um, you know, Florida or Massachusetts. I think we just need to be very careful to not uh, become victims of our own success. And, and I, I think, you know, the, the reality of life today is very different than the reality of life when, you know, my parents and grandparents, you know, immigrated, um, you know, folks are much busier. And so I think, you know, we need to focus more on quality and not necessarily uh, quantity in terms of the number of organizations that we have. I mean, I'll just give you an example. The city that I live in is the city of, um, you know, about 50,000 people. I'd say about 20,000 of them are Portuguese of just Portuguese descent. Uh, and we have seven Holy Ghost organizations. We have a Portuguese uh, athletic club. We have, uh, 
uh, a Portuguese band that's you know housed at one of the Portuguese churches here. Uh, and so as as the older as the generations get older and as people get more and more tired, we're going to eventually lose some of that. And we need to be, I think, cognizant of the fact that more is not necessarily better. Uh, and 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 also, and I say this all the time. I mean, I speak about my own, you know, family. I've got two children; they're seven and nine. Uh, my wife, who's Portuguese, and you know, obviously plugged into the community. Um, you know, if we wanted to do our part to keep the traditions alive at one of our Holy Ghost clubs, and we were to go there, and I, I always use the example: if we were to go there and uh, peel the potatoes for a matansat pork the following day, uh, and brought our kids, there's really not much or anything, frankly, for them to do there, uh, other than do things to probably get themselves in trouble by you know, kicking the ball around and breaking a, a light or something. And, and so I think we need to start to evolve um, where there are, are greater amenities at some of our organizations. And maybe some of our organizations, frankly, need to consolidate and combine forces uh, while they still have assets, while they still have money. You know, I, I, I sometimes think about what I would love to see around here would be, a you know, a, a Portuguese organization that would have, you know, maybe a daycare where the kids, the, the, the children actually learn Portuguese part of the day. It'd be a place where the older folks could go and hang out and maybe do day trips, um, you know, have a nice, fine restaurant that, you know, members, but also folks from the community could go to. Um, so I think some of those, those are some of the things that I think we need to, as a community, start to work towards and not, you know, be so concentrated in our own little organizations that, you know, we end up putting ourselves uh, out of business. I mean, we're, uh, as I said at the beginning of this uh, conversation, you know, the community, I think, in general, everywhere we are. Uh, is now totally integrated at every level and in every aspect of society. Uh, and I think, you know, collectively, as our populations continue to grow with the future generations, I think we can continue to be a louder and louder uh, voice for the causes uh, that we certainly care about and, 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 and matter. So those are very wise words. Yeah, they're like deja vu, some of the conversations that we've had sure. out here. and very... And, and yeah. inspirational as well, I think, because that's uh, indeed what uh, is going on through uh, much of the Portuguese American community throughout the United States. Uh, one other uh, aspect would be uh, this relationship between Portugal and the United States. And I know that you're kind of uh, involved, uh, whether it be through this legislative dialogues that uh, FLAT puts together, that you've attended several times, whether it be your contacts with the regional government of the Azores and also the government of uh, mainland Portugal. How do you how do you see this uh, these transatlantic relationships moving forward as the community integrates, as you said, and has a different foot uh, in the United States, different than our parents or grandparents did? I think you know the the, the lack of, of boundaries. I mean, the the, the way technology has, has just opened the world uh, to to everyone. Frankly, uh, I think you know the cultural connections will continue to be maintained through the travel uh, and some of the cultural. Uh, exchanges, whether it's uh, a folklore group that might go to uh, that might go to Portugal for uh, over the summer, uh, but I think the real opportunities are around the academic opportunities. You know, FLOD I think has done a, a wonderful job uh, with their study in Portugal network. You know, Dr. Dr. Michael Baum, especially with the you know, support of of the president of FLOD, Vash uh and the and the board. Uh, I think that's where the real opportunity uh, arises. Uh, because from the academic connections will then come potential economic and other professional opportunities. They can in incorporate, you know, internships at Portuguese companies. And if there's an opportunity to do the opposite with Portuguese students coming here uh, to the United States, I think that's where uh, the future uh, holds great promise and great opportunity. And from that, you know, other other 
deeper relationships and, 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 and uh, opportunities can evolve. So I'd like to maybe if we could have uh, Senator Pong to end it with, uh, I mean, not very many Portuguese Americans were elected at the age of 20. Uh, and in one of our missions, as Angela points out in most in our programs, is to basically not just have these conversations, but also entice other Portuguese Americans uh, to get involved in the political process, uh, whether it be volunteering in a campaign or running for office at the age of 20. It's, uh, it's fantastic. So um, we'd like to end this podcast with maybe a couple of uh, words from uh, uh, on your behalf on how Portuguese Americans can become more involved and to maybe to our younger uh, listenership, uh, not to be afraid and to go out there uh, as you did at the age of 20. What's some um, of the words of wisdom and some of the uh, uh, and some of the advice that you can give to, to our community? Well, I mean, my appeal would be to to younger uh, people certainly run for office. We all know the reality of politics in America, not just in America, but in the world today. Uh, it's hard. It's not pleasant. It's not fun most of the time, uh, but with politics comes elective office, which come the levers of power to be able to do things for the community at large, but also to defend the specific needs uh, that our particular community uh, might have. And for some of the older folks that may not want to you know, run for office, support those younger people and encourage those younger people to run for office uh, because politics and, and, and is a very, especially today with, uh, with all of the challenges, uh, it's a very fluid reality. And while we may have, you know, I, I, I use the example many times when I first got elected to the Senate, there were four of us in the Senate that were Portuguese Americans, some closer connected to the community than others. Today, I'm the last man standing, so to speak. Uh, and, and that, you know, that can change. I mean, with elections every two years, we can go from having very, you know, very strong, uh, robust representation to uh, a situation like we have now where we only have uh, have one person. And so I think it's important for folks to, as hard as it is, as challenging it is, as as, as awful as politics may be sometimes, uh, you know, we all have a, a responsibility to step up. And if we can't step up ourselves as candidates for office, uh, then to certainly support those uh, that are willing to step up, that are willing to sacrifice uh, and, and doing so for, for the right reasons. I, that's Thank excellent. You very much. Yeah, very uh, uh, inspiring words. I hope that they resonate with our leader, uh, our, leash, our, our leaders, yes, and our listeners. So we have reached our time, but uh, gosh, we really covered a lot and had a really great uh, discussion here in such a short amount of time. Thank you so much, Senator DuPont. Uh, it was really a pleasure talking with you, and we wish you much continued success. We hope you're there for another 20 years, if not more. And, you know, uh, we wish you the best and, and thank you. For being here. Thank, thank you, you very much. Excellent. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of Politicus. If you have any questions or suggestions, uh, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. And if you haven't hit that subscribe button, please do so now and share this podcast with friends and family. Uh, we really need to spread the word out there uh, about getting involved and public service and as Senator DuPont says, running for office. So with that, we will say adios, até logo, until next time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese-American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org palcus p a l c u s 
palkisfaith.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palkis at palkis.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus.